All right, let's pray. Let's get into the Bible. Let's open our hearts. I believe God has a word for us this morning. And Mark chapter 4 tells us that the measure that we put into the word of God will be measured back unto us. This morning, you, some of you battled wind and rain, and some of you would have rather slept in, but you know what? You love God. You love God's people. Some of you drove a long way. I just think of my sweet friend Crystal in the back. She drives a really long way. Mary and David, they've got a really long drive. I'm telling you, some of you others in here have really long drives, and I'm telling you, you're here because you want to meet with God. You're here because you love God. You love God's people, and you want an encounter with the Lord this morning, and we're not going to leave disappointed. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I'm so humbled that uh, you would speak through me this morning. And I confess Psalm 81.10, as I open my mouth wide, you fill it with your words. Thank you, John 16. Your words are spirit and your words are life. And I just thank you, 2 Corinthians 5, for a mighty, mighty, mighty deposit of your Holy Spirit into your people this morning. Lord, open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, open our heart to understand what you would say from us. God, one word from heaven, one word from the throne of the living God can change our life, can change our destiny, can change our course. And we're all ears this morning to hear what the Spirit of God would say. In Jesus' name, would you say amen? All right, say it with me. Say, on your mark, get set, go. We're in our series called Mark, On Your Mark, Get Set, Go, and it's, it's a look at the life of Christ through the gospel of Mark, and we're going to finish chapter 6 today. And man, I love this. I love it. I love it. I love not having to worry about what I'm going to preach next week because it's right there. I just read chapter 7 and read chapter 8, and I know exactly what we got to preach on. But I really, I've heard so many wonderful comments about this series. How many of you have been blessed and have been inspired and been encouraged through the series? This has just really been a tremendous journey, and there's so much more. We're just scratching the surface. So we're talking about Mark, and I won't take much time today to go through the review and the intro, but uh, Mark was really writing the story of Peter. Mark was Peter's assistant, and Mark would hear Peter preach his sermons, and Mark basically would transcribe them. That's why there's some things like we're going to see today about Peter that are left out of certain writings in Mark because he was uh, either A, Peter didn't want to put them in there to seem prideful, or, or it kind of made Peter look kind of bad, and so Peter said, let's not write that down. Isn't that like human nature? And so Mark is, is really writing the uh, account of Jesus through the, gospel, uh, through the eyes of Peter. And you know that Mark was with uh, Paul and Barnabas, and it was Barnabas' nephew or cousin, however you want to translate that word. And uh, Mark almost blew it. Mark deserted Paul on a missionary journey and went back home to Mama. How I many know sometimes you just want to go back home to Mama? Anybody out there? But Mark blew it, and, and but later on at the very end of Paul's life, he said, bring John Mark to me, for he's useful for the ministry. So God took a man that was a little bit of a chicken, and God took a man that was a, a little bit of a deserter. God took a man that kind of gave up on his assignment, and, and Mark didn't give up. Mark continued to grow, continued to learn. How many know there's hope for me? Mark did not have it all together, but yet God used him. He became a really powerful leader in the church and he got to write a gospel that bears his name. And so I want to encourage you, if you've almost blown it, or if you've went down the wrong path, or if you've made some bad decisions, God can redeem that, and God can still use you if you'll put yourself in position. Look at your neighbor and say, never give up. Never give up. That's so interesting to me how Paul brought Mark back at the end, wanted to, to speak to him because Mark had turned the corner. Mark had got hooked up with Peter, and Peter had really begun to sharpen him and been to encourage him. How I many know our association matters? Who we're associated with? The church that we're associated with matters. And I thank God that you're associated with this ministry. So, all right, Mark chapter 6, we're going to look at verse 45 today. Mark chapter 6. In verse 45, and we're going to travel through verse 52. Today we're talking about Jesus walking on the water. How many of you, when you were children, tried to walk on the water? Anybody? I'd say, Mom, watch this. I'm going to walk on the water. Kaplunk, you know. So we're going to talk today about Jesus calming the storm, walking on the water, and it's, it's going to be a really interesting day. We could subtitle this Jesus to the Rescue. Jesus to the rescue. And this message will be going out online, and I believe that folks will hear this who need this encouragement because we're going to deal with storms in life and things that we go through and how Jesus is there for us and helps us. And, you know, this walking on water has been used as an idiom for centuries. You know, what, what do you think I am, a miracle worker? What can I do, walk on water? It's kind of the thing that everybody uses and throws out there. Nobody says, what do you think I am? You think I can turn water into wine? <laughs> 
you know, everybody says, you know, I'm, you know, I can't walk on water. It's impossible. And they use that idiom. And it's just very interesting how Jesus defied all natural laws and all gravity. Write this down if you're taking notes. This is also found in Matthew 14. And it's found in John chapter 6. If that's interesting to you, Matthew 14, John chapter 6. And you can look at parallel viewpoints of this story. Let's jump in. I want to read the whole account this morning so we kind of set the table, so we kind of really see what God wants to say to us. Mark chapter 6, verse 45, follow along on the screen. Immediately after this, now just, uh, you know, if you go back to what had happened, Jesus had just fed the 5,000. He had just multiplied the little fish and the little loaves, and we talked all about that a couple of weeks ago. Just fed this giant multitude, more like 20,000, Joseph, because it didn't count women and children in that number. So this great miracle had happened. Jesus, immediately after that, insisted that his disciples get back in the boat and head across the lake to Bethesda. Now, this may be a different translation. If it is, uh, just follow along with me the best you can. Go on to verse 46. I'll just read it off the screen so we're, we're tracking along on the same translation. Look at verse 46. And after telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills to pray by himself. How many you know sometimes you got to get alone with God? Even though Jesus was God and very God, in his humanity, he needed time with the Father. So remember, Jesus had found out about the death of John the Baptist. He was grieving. They were going to the other side of the lake to take a vacation, to get away, and then he sees this huge crowd, and the Bible says he's moved with compassion, and he's praying for people, healing people. He's expending all this energy. So Jesus tells the disciples to go on to the other side, get back in the boat, and he gets by himself to pray. The best thing you can do is get by yourself and spend time with the Lord. If you're feeling dry, if you're feeling broken, if you're feeling like you are on empty, if you wake up feeling like you have nothing left to give your family, you have nothing left to give your church, you have nothing left to give to your God, then I would encourage you, you need to refuel in the presence of God. You need to spend time in his presence where there's fullness of joy. Even if it's 10 minutes, I know what it's like to get up in the morning and have a mile-long list of things to do and running around and getting the kids ready and have to be out the door by 6.30 or 7 or 7.30. I understand what that is like. But if you can set the clock back 10 minutes and beat everybody up and spend 5 or 10 minutes with the Lord, it will revolutionize your day. It will absolutely revolutionize your day. So Mark chapter 6, we're traveling on down here. He told everybody goodbye, sent them away to pray by himself in verse 47. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on the land. Get this picture now, verse 48. Look what the scripture tells us. He saw, this is interesting, that they were in trouble, serious trouble. Somebody say serious trouble. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. And about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them, walking on the water, and he intended to go past them. Now, that's actually um, a translation that if you study that, he intended to to pass by them, it actually, the, the original language means he intended to pass by their way. And so some translations say he was going by their way. Some take it to mean he was passing by. But if I tell Gail, hey, I'm going to come by your house today, that doesn't mean I'm just going to drive by your house, honk, and leave. What does that mean? I'm coming by your house. I'm going to stop by. And so Jesus was going to them intentionally, I believe, to stop their way. Now look in verse 49. This is really, really gets interesting. But when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in fear and terror, thinking he was a ghost. I believe I would have done the same thing. Don't be so judgmental. You would have freaked out too because you're not supposed to walk on water and you're in a storm. Their senses were already heightened. They were already on alert. Look what the next passage says here. So they thought he was a ghost. And then in verse 50, the scripture tells us this. They were all terrified when they saw him, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Keep that there, Jared. I want you to see this. That word, I am here, is, is a parallel from the Old Testament passage when, when Moses said, Who shall I tell Pharaoh has sent me? And God said, Tell them I am that I am. Jesus said, I am the great I am is here. This storm is no match for me. I am is here. Look at your neighbor and say, I am is here. Just tell them. Say, I am is here. I am what? Whatever we need. He's our provider. He's our security. He's our refuge. Whatever we need when we're in the storms of life, I am is here. And we can take tremendous courage in that. Look at verse 51. So he climbed into the boat, 
and the wind stopped, and they were totally amazed. How many of you think you would be totally amazed as well? And then the last one, verse 52, is all we're going to read for today. And they still didn't understand the significance because their hearts were too hard to take it in. They were still, even though this miracle happened, they were still questioning and pondering this giant miracle of feeding the 5,000 because their hearts were not ready to receive what God was doing. So the disciples here, just like many of us, found themselves in a storm. And you may be in this room today, and you may be in a storm. You may be listening on the Internet to this message, and you may find yourself in a storm. And it could be a storm of financial uh, situations. Maybe you have a business, and maybe the income has not been there. Maybe you're in sales. Maybe the sales haven't been where they need, and, and maybe there's a, a, a tremendous lack of income, and you find yourself in a financial storm that you did not expect. Maybe when the stock market crashed you, many years ago, you had all kinds of finances and resources, and your 401K became a 201K. Maybe you lost, I know guys that lost hundreds of thousands of dollars in the, in the stock market, and maybe, maybe you're in that kind of, maybe you've lost your job or been laid off, and you find yourself in a storm. Maybe it's a, a marital storm. Maybe your marriage has been, you know, rocky before and you've had your ups and downs, but now something is different. Your spouse came in last week and said the D word. They said divorce and they're speaking about not loving you. And maybe, maybe it's a financial storm uh, related to that and it's caused that. Maybe you're in a storm because your kids, maybe you have a high schooler and they were top of their class and you've seen the grades go down and down and down and you can't communicate. Communication is hard with teenagers, I've been told. <laughs> I don't have teenagers yet, but I was one. And so, to, you know, communication can be challenging. Maybe you're in a storm in that way. Maybe you're in a storm uh, with some relationships. Whatever it is, maybe it's health. Maybe you're in a health crisis. Maybe you went to the doctor for a routine checkup and they found something. They were concerned. They expressed concern. Upon further investigation, you've been told that it's a major deal. It's a major illness. And now you're facing that, and that is a storm in life. The disciples found themselves in a storm, and we all find ourselves in the storm. Now, we're going to see in a minute that Jesus doesn't uh, always isolate us from all storms. It's something we're really going to talk about today. But the comfort we have is that when we're in a storm and we love Jesus, anybody love Jesus in the house today? We love Jesus. We're following Jesus. We can be confident we'll never be alone in the storm. So I want to give you real quickly this morning six lessons, six lessons that I've learned about life from the storm. Six lessons that I have learned about storms in life through this passage. And this is really going to help you today from our text. All right, number one, this is something that we have to talk about. We have to address it right at the beginning. Number one, storms can arise even when you're in God's will. Storms can arise contrary to what you may hear on TV, contrary to some of the preachers that are, are good guys out there, but yet they'll tell you if you just hook up to Jesus and send them an offering, all your problems will go away. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, if sending the TV preacher an offering would make all my problems go away, I would be sending offerings every single day. But it doesn't do that. There's no magic wand. I, I work during the week in lending real estate and lending, and, and folks come to me with terrible credit and bad credit, and they get mad at me because I can't wave a wand and just fix it overnight. I will tell them, it took you 15 years to get your score this low. It's going to take some time to get it back up. Can I have an amen? amen. There's no magic pill. There's no, no magic bullet. There's no magic wand. And so I want you to know that even when you're in the will of God, even when you're following the directions of the Lord, you can find yourself in a storm. Let me prove it to you here. Why were they going to the other side of the lake? Jesus said, get in the boat. Jesus says, get in the boat. What do you do? You get in the boat. He said, go to the other side. What do they do? They're going to the other side. They're following the words of Jesus, and they find themselves in this tremendous, dangerous storm. So just because we're in the will of God... It does not mean that we will be isolated from storms. Now, we must take an evaluation. Anytime a storm comes in my life, I always evaluate. I look at myself. Is my heart towards God? Am I doing what I know to do? Is, is my heart pure towards the Lord? Am I in right fellowship with God? And if the answer is yes to those things, then look at this PowerPoint for life. Then many times we will go into a storm because we are headed in the right direction. Many times we are headed in the right direction with the Lord and therefore uh, the world or circumstances or Satan brings a storm to us because we are going in the right direction. And so I want you to see here something that we need to examine 
and think about nowhere. Somebody say nowhere. Nowhere Nowhere do we see that Jesus knew about the storm. Well, he was God. Yes, he was God, but in his humanity, he gave up that divine knowledge and he only had revelation about uh, situations that the Holy Spirit gave him. Jesus did not, in his humanity, know everything that was going to be happening. We could, uh, we could surmise that the, the skies were probably clear. These guys were professional fishermen. They knew when a cloud was coming in and on the Sea of Galilee, a fierce wind, a storm could just roll up like that. And so nowhere do we know that Jesus sent them into the storm. I hear people say all the time, well, God has sent me into the storm. Jesus didn't send them into the storm. He was sending them to the other side. And then life happens and a storm came. So nowhere do we see that Jesus specifically sent them into the storm. And the next thing we don't see is that Jesus had any knowledge about this storm. In fact, the scripture would I concede that actually he did not because when he saw that they were having trouble and he saw that they were rowing, that's when he began to move towards them. And so, you know, think about Acts 27. I want you to see this on the screen. Remember the Apostle Paul? He was uh, on his way sailing from Rome in Acts 27 and 28. He has a tremendous shipwreck. He encounters a tremendous storm and he was right in the middle of God's will. He was doing what he's supposed to be doing, following God. And then this tremendous storm came up. Look in verse 20, Acts 27. It says, a terrible storm raged for many days, blotted out the sun, stars. All hope was gone. Verse 21, no no one had even eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, men, you should have listened to me. Paul warned them about the storm, and they didn't listen. He said, men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You would have avoided all this damage and all this loss. And it goes on down to say in verse 25, uh, verse 24, it says, don't be afraid. You are going to stand before Caesar. This is what the angel was saying. And he said, once more, because of God's goodness, he's going to grant you safety and to everyone selling with you. In verse 25, Paul goes to the people and he says, take courage. I believe God. Just what he said is going to happen. And we will, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. So here you have the great apostle Paul. He's following God. He's obeying the Lord and he encounters a storm. Just because we're following Christ doesn't isolate us from storms. I heard a preacher say, you're either coming out of a storm or you're in a storm or you're going to a storm. Say it when we say storms are a part of life. Now we're not believing God for them and hoping for them, but life happens. Storms come our way. So even when we're in God's will, we can encounter tests, trials, and storms. Now, number two, the second life lesson I learned about storms through this passage is storms can arise quickly and without warning. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will give us revelation that something is coming. How many of you have had wisdom from the Lord before about situations that are coming and God will help you and speak to you? And I have, but sometimes storms just come. Sometimes the skies are clear. It's smooth sailing. And you've been on the beach. You know one, one minute you can be out there having fun, feeding Cheetos to the seagulls. How I many you know that's a really bad idea if you've never done that? You can be feeding Cheetos to the seagulls like we did one time. And, and boy, I didn't know that those things can communicate, apparently, because it's like, oh, it's just one bird. One little Cheeto won't matter. And then all of a sudden, oh, honey, it's getting cloudy. Did you know that? And look up, and it's this giant cloud of seagulls coming over. I, I took the umbrella. This is no joke. I took the umbrella out of the sand, and I was having to knock the birds away from my family. I thought, oh, Lord, rapture me now. But it was terrible. But have you know that, that it can arise and, and they can come quickly. All of a sudden, things can be going great. And then out of seemingly nowhere, this storm can arise. So we need, to, we need to learn how to adjust. And this is what I want to settle in this morning. We must, pre- say this to me, say, we must prepare in advance. You see, these disciples were in a storm. They were professional fishermen. They were trained. They knew how to row, and they could keep things going until Jesus was able to get there and to see the manifestation of the miracle. You cannot build a house in a storm. You cannot build a house in a storm. You cannot prepare for the storm in the storm. How many of you have ever been camping and didn't put the little... Uh, hinges down the little stakes in the tent and then all of a sudden this big storm comes in and you're trying to run around like crazy trying to put the tarp down or put the tarp over I mean you can't do certain things in a storm when you're in the storm what you do now will come up and rise up out of you and will carry you through because you cannot build a house in the storm look at the scripture Matthew 7 that's why you need to come to church when things are good 
That's why we need to tithe when things are good. That's why we need to pray the scriptures when things are good. Because you can't build the foundation for your life and faith in the storm. We must prepare now. Look at Matthew chapter 7. And let's look at verse 24. It says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds his house on solid rock, on the solid foundation. Though the rains come and the torrents come and the floodwaters rise, the winds beat against the house, it will not collapse because it's built on the rock, built on the foundation. But anyone who hears my teachings and doesn't obey, they are foolish like a person who builds his house on sand. When the rain comes and the floods come, the winds beat, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So we see here that what the foundation that we have, listen to me if you can, mom and dad. This is why the foundation that you're laying for your children is so important. Because storms in life are going to come. And, and that storm in life is either going to cause you to bend a little bit, or if you're not rooted, if you're not rooted in God's love. This morning the theme is we've heard through the songs and the exhortation about God's love. If you're not deeply rooted in God's love, you could be blown over in the storm or you could break in the storm. How many of you know people that have broken in the storm before? They've been uprooted and, and everything that they thought they knew about God and their family and their church completely went away in an instant because they didn't have that root. You see, I love fruit. But I'm more concerned about your root because if you don't have the root, then you will not have any fruit. No root, no fruit. And so I'm more concerned as a pastor to teach you now how to believe God when things are good, how to believe God for the small things, how when you have a cold that, to teach you how to pray and believe God for that. And if you need to supplement that with medicine and doctors, go ahead, do that. But I would rather teach you now when you have a cold to trust God to help you and get over that. Because then if something big comes your way, you don't have that foundation to even stand. You'll be blown away. Remember David? You guys remember David in the Bible? I'm doing a very good job as your pastor if you remember David. Remember David killed the lion and David killed the bear? He was faithful in the little, and then when he got to Goliath, he had the confidence. He said, just like God delivered me out of the lion, just like God delivered me from the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Had he not killed the lion and had he not killed the bear, David uh, would have been killed by Goliath because he didn't have that track record, that foundation of believing God. So I'm warning you today that storms in life are coming. Just a few years ago, Miss Kathy found herself in a storm. Doctors gave her a diagnosis. That, that wasn't good, and, and, but she knew, she, she, she's talked to me about it. She had a well on the inside, and she just knew, and things would begin to well up in her, and the Word of God would begin to come up in her. You can't put that in in a storm because then it's almost too late. It's not impossible, but it's almost too late. It's a lot easier to build a house when the skies are clear. It's a lot easier to pour a foundation when it's not raining and thundering and lightning. When all of hell's breaking loose, it's a little hard to do any major foundation work so we find it here that storms can arise violently and quickly, and that's why we must put the Word of God in now, even when we don't need it. So when we need it, it'll be there, and we can draw it out, and God will help us. Is this good? All right. I don't need to go down the road to, to another church and preach this message. It needs to be right here. Amen? Now look at number three. This is so powerful. Number three. Jesus sees the storm, and he cares about you. I've been in storms in life. I've been in the will of God and found myself in major crisis, major storms. I know many of you have as well, even on greater levels than what I have. And you, you think Jesus is a million miles away. Where is God in this? I bet the disciples were, I don't know if they, what they used for curse words back then, but I bet they were thinking, that Jesus, he sent us out here. This is his fault. He told us to go to the other side. And look what a mess he caused. I was following God. And look what a mess that this has got me in. I could just see those disciples just, just having at it and, and bickering back and forth. And what you've got to understand is that Jesus sees the storm and he cares about you. You know, the, the miracle of walking on the water is amazing. How many of you agree? Walking on water is amazing. But that's not the greatest miracle in this story. The greatest miracle is they were three to four miles away in the middle of the lake and Jesus is alone up on the mountain praying, and he saw them by the Spirit of God. This was not natural sight. This was spiritual sight. 
The Holy Spirit revelated to him, hey, your disciples are in critical danger. And what did Jesus do? He got up and he immediately left to go and solve the situation, to bring peace to the situation. Jesus sees the storm that you're in. And he has such compassion for you and he cares so much for you. Look at 1 Peter 5, 7. I'll just quote it. It says, cast your care on the Lord for he cares for you. Say that with me. Say, cast your care on the Lord for he cares for you. Say this way. Say, God cares for me. God is not leaving you alone in the storm to die. God does not have his eyes and ears closed to you in your storm. He knows you are in the storm. He sees you in the storm. He cares about you. And he is planning and plotting a way for your safety and your deliverance. The greatest miracle, I think, is Jesus seeing them in the storm so far away, miles away. Look at Psalm 46, 1 and 2. This is so encouraging. Anytime I get kind of discouraged or I feel like my problems aren't resolving quick enough or, God, are you, are you here? Where are you, God? Do you see what I'm going through? Do you see the pain? Do you see the trial? Do you see the test? Do you see the storm? The Bible says in Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and our strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. Somebody say, always. He's always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when the earthquakes come, when the mountains crumble into the sea, because God is a very present help in time of need. Jesus sees the storm. He knows and he cares and has compassion on you. Not only this morning are we talking about storms happen when we're in the will of God, and that they can come up very quickly and they can come up very violently. We can trust that Jesus sees us in the storm. He has compassion for the storm. And then look at number four. This is very encouraging to me. Jesus is more powerful than the storm. The storm was draining the disciples. The storm was more than they could handle. The storm was overwhelming them. They could not compete against the storm. The 11 or 12 men that were rowing in the boat could not match the wind and could not match the waves. But one man, Jesus, was not afraid of the storm. Hear me now. He was not afraid of the storm. And he came walking on the waves, meaning he was more powerful than the storm. The storm may seem powerful. The storm may seem big. The situation may seem like it has a grip and control. But Jesus Christ and his power is more powerful than any storm. Can I have an amen? If we go on back one verse in 1 Peter 5, 6, it talks about the mighty hand of God. And anytime you hear the mighty hand of God, that talks about the power of God. Job chapter 11 says God is limitless. No one can record his infinite perfection. It says that it is longer in scope and in measure than even the earth. No one can dialogue and dictate and record the measure of God. Isaiah 48, the great prophet said this in Isaiah 48 verse 12. He recorded that God said, It is with my hand that I lay the foundations of the earth. It is with my right hand spread out to the heavens above. When I call out to the stars, they will appear in order. Ladies and gentlemen, I know your storm may be real. I know your storm may be powerful. I know the situation may be bleak. But Jesus Christ is more powerful than the storms of life, and we can trust in that. He sees us and he cares for us. Isn't that good news? Jesus is more powerful than the storm that I'm going through. What does this mean? He can handle it. He can handle it. Tell your neighbor he can handle it. He can handle it. But we, be, we must put our trust in that. We must believe that because we're going to talk in a minute about perspective, and I want you to see this. Now look at the next thing I learned from, from storms. Is this helping anybody today? hope so. Look at the next one, Jared, number five. This ain't what we like to say. This ain't what word of faith people like to hear. I'm, I'm very word of faith. I believe in the Bible and speaking it, and I, I believe God is all-powerful. But I don't like this one. But it's the absolute truth. The resolution of our storm is not always quick, and it is not always easy. Can we be honest? Christians like things quick, and we like things easy. Oh, God, my car's broke. I need a new car. We want it quick. And we want it easy. Oh, God, I want a really, really nice new home. We want it quick, and we want it easy. The Lord may say, well, buy one that's a dump and remodel it and fix it up. Take some time. Take some work. Lord, I've got this financial crisis and this problem, 
God may say, sell your boat. Oh, no, God, I can't sell my boat. I'll file bankruptcy if I have to sell my boat. Sell your boat. Look at your neighbor and say, sell the boat. Coming out of the storms is not always quick and is not always easy. I want to show you something real clear. If you can just give me your best attention for the next 5, 10 minutes. How many of you will give me 5 minutes this morning? 5, 10, 15, 20. Okay, we got enough time this morning. I want you to hear this. I really believe this is revelation from the Lord. The disciples had been fighting and rowing for hours. Wouldn't it have been nice when, when the storm immediately hit, Jesus just spoke, okay, storm, just calm down. But Jesus had to walk three or four miles. They had been rowing. It was about three or four in the morning. They left in the evening. They had been fighting the storm, probably about to the point where they were about to give up. I think there's, there's value in, in Jesus not delaying on purpose, but delaying with a purpose. See, there's a difference between delaying on purpose and then delaying with a purpose. And so what I want you to know is there is a connection between faith and patience that is not taught. How many of you have heard sermons on faith? Let me see your hand. you got to believe God. Have faith in the Word. Speak the Word. How many of you have heard faith sermons? Just believe God can do it. How many of you have heard sermons on faith and patience tied together? Yeah, just a few of you. How many of you have heard way more sermons on faith than you've heard way more sermons on patience? We live in a microwave society. If it takes three and a half minutes to cook my popcorn, that's too long. I want it done in three minutes. If I have to wait in the drive-thru two and a half minutes to get a full meal for my family, I don't have any dishes to do. I don't have to cook anything. But man, it took five minutes. We're frustrated. There's supposed to be fast food. You're slow food. You guys know. You guys do that. I see you in the drive-thru throwing the hamburgers back through the window. I saw Kaylee do that. I'm just kidding. I'm just teasing. We want things fast but let me show you this in the Bible, in Hebrews chapter 6. Let's look at Hebrews, 11, Hebrews 6, 11 through 12. I want you to see this. I don't know what version Jared has, but I'm going to read that, and I'm going to pull up a different, couple of different things. Good, you found that. Thank you very much. All right, ready? I want you to see this. Say this to me. Say, the Lord's going to teach me something. It's going to be great. Here we go. We do strongly and earnestly desire for each of you to show the same diligence and sincerity all the way through. See, we have the promise of God, and it's in the Bible. We have the promise for peace. We have the promise of a good marriage. We have the promise of our finances being met. We have the promise of the joy of the Lord. We have the promise of health. We have the promise of provision. We have the promise of blessing to be a blessing. We have all these promises. We have the promise of fruit. We have the promise of ministry. We have the promise of influence. We have the promise of impact. We have the promise of peace. We have all these promises. We say, oh, God, I want them right now. But the Bible says that we are to show the same diligence and sincerity all the way through in realizing and enjoying the full assurance and the full development of your hope until the end. So we have this hope, and we are to, with sincerity and earnestly, we are to hold on to that hope all the way to the end because so many people give up. So many people give up before the Lord actually uh, is able to manifest. Now look at verse 12. I want you to see this. So we're talking about hope. We're talking about realizing this, enjoying the full uh, manifestation of what you're hoping in. You're hoping for your kids to be born again. You're hoping for your teenagers to fall in love with Jesus. You're hoping for your body to realize the healing that Jesus Christ paid for. You're hoping for your financial situation to turn around. We have to now notice this with sincerity. It says, in order that you may not grow disinterested and become spiritual sluggards. I've been wanting to do this all week. Tell your neighbors, say, don't be a sluggard. Come on, just tell them. Notice this here now. If God gave us everything that we wanted immediately, we'd become disinterested. We'd become spiritual sluggards. With my children, if every time I walked in the store, they said, Dad, I want that. Okay. Then next time I say, Son, I need your help to pick up sticks in the yard, he's not going to be interested. Why? Because everything he wants, I buy him immediately. But son, if you want that, that's great. That's pretty expensive. How about I meet you halfway? I got some sticks at home. This, that, and the other. You pick them up. You do your part, I'll do my part. Well, Dad, that's going to take me weeks. Okay, it might. It might take you weeks. How bad do you want it? I've done my part. Now, I want you to notice this here. Now, this is not working for, earning, or deserving a miracle. I don't want you to hear that. We're not buying miracles. We're not working so God loves us more. 
It's none of those things. There is a kingdom principle. Somebody say that with me. A kingdom principle. Ladies and gentlemen, you cannot undo and untie kingdom principles. They work. They work whether you believe them or not. There are kingdom principles about sowing and reaping. You cannot untie that. There are kingdom principles about love and refreshing others. And this is a kingdom principle. I want you to see this now. In order that you may not grow disinterested and become spiritual sluggards, but imitate those behaving as to do with those who through faith. Somebody say faith. Notice here, he's talking about all the fathers in Hebrews. If you read Hebrews, it goes through all these great men of God. We've got Moses. We've got Abraham. It talks about David. He lists all these men of God and women of God who saw great things in the kingdom of the Lord. It says they leaned their entire personality on God in Christ in absolute trust and confidence. Catch this now. Well, what is faith? What is faith? Here's what faith is. Faith is leaning your entire personality on God in Christ. It is absolute trust. It is absolute confidence in his power, his wisdom, and his goodness. Somebody say goodness. When we're in a storm, when we're in a storm, we must put absolute trust and confidence in his power and his wisdom and his goodness. And you cannot develop that trust and confidence in his goodness and wisdom in the middle of the storm. It must be put in now. See, I'm learning to trust God's goodness now. That way when the storm comes, I know that God is a good father and that he loves me and that he cares for me and that it's his desire for me to get through this storm but I must have full confidence in power and wisdom and by, somebody say and. Now what is the word and? I know that's the word and. Thank you, Bob. What is the word and? Bob's like A-N-D. Yes, thank you for spelling that out. What does and mean? In addition to, would you say that for those listening on the internet? In addition to. And means in addition to. So Luis, it's not enough just to preach on faith. You need to believe God. You need to trust God. You need to have confidence in God. That's part, but notice the next part. I didn't write this. Don't get mad at me. Get mad at the writer of Hebrews. So they realized what they're hoping for, the completion of what they're hoping for to the very end. They saw it through. They, they received the promise. Notice this here, through faith and by, in addition to, patience. Patience patiently enduring and waiting, and they are now inheriting the promise. The answer to your storm may not come fast, and it may not come quick, but that is not a denial of God's love for you. That is not a denial of the character of God. We receive the promise, how? By faith and patience. Not just by faith, by faith and patience. Look at this next graphic on the screen. Jared, I want you to see this. There's a little circle here that I made faith and patience and faith and patience, and faith, and patience, and then we receive the promise. I'm going to tell you a secret. You know why so many people never receive the end of the thing they're hoping for? It's because they have faith and patience, and then that patience drains and drains and drains, and we think, we think because we are, we, maybe the answer is delayed, we think we're denied, and we give up that confident hope and that trust and we become a little sluggish spiritually. That's what the scripture said. We become a little sluggish spiritually. And we stop believing. We stop confessing. We just accept that well, this must just be the way it is because I've not seen my answer yet. And I believe that Susan, with my heart, I believe we give up. I believe Satan pushes us to give up. I believe he can see in the annals of time. I believe he can see the answer here. And, and, and we're so close to the breakthrough. We're so close to the answer. We're so close to the miracle. And then Satan pushes the heat on and presses the intensity. And we give up and we drop it right here. Now God is so merciful and God is so loving. But we cannot become, we cannot become spiritually sluggish in our storm. We must continue to pray and speak the word. We must continue to come to church. I know people that go through storms that drop out of church. That's the last thing you need to do when you're going through a storm. People can have an Amen. You need to be around the body of Christ and be encouraged. And again, it's not working for earning or deserve it. Jesus already did that. It's already been paid for. But it's a kingdom principle, faith and patience, faith and patience. Faith and patience. And that's hard if we're honest about it. Last one, number six. Now, I'll tell you that not to be 
discouraging. I tell you that to be encouraged. Because just hang on, just hang on a little bit more. Just keep believing a little bit more. Put the word of God in now when you don't need it. So when you do, it'll be there. Have absolute confidence in God's power and his resolve. It's never too late. The storm may be beating on you, but it's not too late. Jesus sees the storm. He loves you. He cares for you. He's walking your way. Just don't give up. Keep believing. Well, what if I believe God and I end up dying and going to be with Jesus? Then, hey, you got your answer. Come on. Can I have an amen? We believe in heaven an awful lot. And we preach about it an awful lot, but they, none of us want to go there right now. Come on. You know what I'm saying? So even if, even, if, even if the situation doesn't resolve the way you think it should, at the end of the day, in eternity, you've got your resolve. You, you've got the inheritance, and you're receiving that from the Lord. And we still want to believe God for things on the earth, obviously. But in light of eternity, this earth is just a vapor. It's just a vapor in light of eternity. So if my problem's fixed now, man, that's great. Praise God. But if it's fixed in eternity, I'd rather have my problem fixed for all of eternity. Do you see what I'm saying? Let's believe God. Now, look at number six. When you're in the storm, look and listen. Somebody say, look and listen. Look and listen for a word from God in the storm. I want to go ahead and ask Pastor Randy to come up and help us if you can. I want to close this, this morning, and I believe I have the word of the Lord for you for today. And it's in Romans chapter 5, verse 3. Romans chapter 5 and verse 3 records this. We can rejoice too when we run into problems. We can rejoice when we run into trials. For we know that they have helped develop endurance. It's patience. How do we receive the promise? By faith and patience. So when we're in trials and when we're in tests and when we're in the storms, they're developing within us patience. Why do we need patience? So we can release our faith. Notice this here in the next verse in verse 4. And endurance or patience develops strength of character. So we're not spiritually sluggish. We're not spiritual brats just demanding this and this and this and this. We're seeking God. Our hearts are right. We are more interested in the God of the hand than the hand of God. I love the hand of God, but we've got to get our hearts set on the God of the hand before we'll ever see the hand of God in our life. And so we're loving God just because we love God. We're reading his word just because we want a fellowship with the Lord. I had a sickness in my body one time, and it hit me, and I didn't know what it was. And it was something, uh, I'll just say this, I don't mean this graphically, but it was some kind of urinary uh, problem, and I had a terrible pain and burning when I'd go to the restroom. And uh, it was just really, really bad, and, and, and uh, I felt like the Lord just asked me one day, I want you to fast your lunch. Wasn't about this. I wasn't even thinking about this problem. It'd been a couple of days and it would really, I mean, almost painful when I would, would use the restroom. Extremely painful, almost to tears. Wasn't even thinking about it, Gail. And, and I felt like the Spirit said, I want you to fast your lunch. And man, I love lunch. You mess my lunch, you're messing with something. I love my lunchtime. I get cranky if I don't eat by 11.45. And the Lord said, I want you to spend 30 minutes and just pray. Sat in the car, just put worship on. Just prayed. I didn't know why. I, I didn't connect it, Joseph. Went back into the office. What do you do after lunch? You go to the restroom. I was standing there in the middle of my business <laughs> and realized, hey, this doesn't hurt anymore. I don't want to be graphic there, but I was completely healed. Never had another problem like that. And I wasn't fasting over my healing. Had nothing to do with that. God said, I just want you to spend time with me. And I did that. And then it was just, the Lord completely took that away from me. And he was teaching me that everything we need is found in his presence. Now, it may not always happen that fast. That was a teaching moment for me. The Lord was teaching me some things there. Romans 5 says, endurance develops character. Character strengthens Character strengthens our confident hope and salvation. How do you get to the point where no matter what comes my way, I'm going to trust in Jesus? How many of you have met people that no, no matter what happens to me, you can kill me, you can burn me, you can take my house, but I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to trust in Jesus until I die. How do we get to that point? Faith and patience. Patience produces endurance, and endurance produces that character, and it produces hope, and hope will not lead to disappointment. You see the cycle? 
Faith and patience and endurance and hope and character and strength. Hope will not disappoint. This is where I want to close this message today. For we know how dearly God loves us. Because he has given the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. The purpose of the storm, frankly, is to distract you from the love of God. Because you get your eyes on the storm instead of your eyes on the love of God. And the minute that I took my eyes off my problem, my urinary problem, the minute I took my eyes off that and put it on Jesus, the problem was resolved. Again, it's not always instant. I've had things I've had to work through and pray through, still praying through, still believing God for things. But the purpose of the storm is to, is to you know, when, when a storm comes, what does it do? It clouds, it makes everything dark. God's love is so bright. God's love is so brilliant. The storm clouds come and the rains come and the winds come. It rains so hard you can't see in front of your face. You can't see, you know, 10 feet in front of you. The purpose of the storm is so you no longer see how much God loves you. And then Jesus comes walking on the storm because he loves you, because he cares about you. So this morning, it's all about the love of God. All about God's love. Look at this PowerPoint for life. Oftentimes, your perspective in the storm speeds up or slows down your delivery from the storm. It's God's desire to deliver you from the storm. But you've got to have this godly perspective. You've got to have this confident hope and confident trust in the love of God. And that will carry you through the storm. Isn't that good? Would you stand with me this morning? Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Lord, what I want the people to know this morning is that even, even in storms, you love us, you care for us. God, help us have faith and help us have patience. Help us endure to the very end. I want to just affirm you this morning. Some of you in this room are going through tremendous trials, and tremendous storms. And maybe you are just on the edge of letting go of hope. Will this thing ever end? Will this thing ever resolve? This morning you came this way and the Lord loved you just enough to send me by this morning to just tell you, hold on just a little bit more. Hold on just a little bit more. Hang tight. Keep believing. Keep speaking. Keep resting in the love of God. Don't be spiritually sluggish. You do what you can do. You do what you know to do. And you allow God to do what you cannot do, but you do everything you know to do. You read your word and you put yourself in position and you spend time in prayer. You come to church and you encourage others and you do what you know to do. And so God can do what only he can do. Would you join the hand of your neighbor? I want to ask Sister Gail to come. Pastor Randy, I don't know if you can sing the chorus of He Loves Us or not. I don't want to throw that on you if you can't, but how he loves us. If you could do that chorus. I want Gail to pray over us. Let's join hands with our neighbors. And let's pray for one another. Friends, there's folks in this church that are hurting. There's folks in this church that are in storms. Let's lift each other up in these storms. Miss Tara and I, we love you so much. We love what God is doing in our church. And we know God loves you. So she's praying. Pastor Randy's singing. Let's receive a word from the Lord this morning. And that it's he loves us so much, even in the middle of our storm. Dear Lord, we're so thankful for your word that reminds us, God, that you never leave us or forsake us. You never abandoned us. But God, that we, and we're never alone. You are walking on the water beside us when the waves, God, seem to be pulling us down. Lord, and we know that Satan desires to make us lose our hope and our faith and our trust. But God, your word reminds us that your word will not return void, but it will accomplish what it, in, it is intended to accomplish, Lord. And God, help us to know the, the last word, the last thing to be said about any situation, any storm, any diagnosis, any problem, any stronghold in our lives is what you have said, Lord. What your word has said, that is it. No matter what, 
we hear in the hum, in our humanity, Lord, no matter what Satan is whispering in our ears, we are children of God. We are children of the Most High God. And our God is rich in mercy. He's rich in grace. And He loves us. We cannot comprehend that love, Lord. We're not able. We can't, we're not built to contain or to understand how you love us, God. Even when we don't love ourselves, even when it feels like no one else does, you are still loving us as much as you ever did. Lord, and you're holding us up. You will not let us fall if we lean on you. So God, I hope that we, we're able to see today that our strength is not what matters. It's not what we feel in ourselves that we're able to do. How many times have we said, God, we can't go on. Lord, you got to stop this because I can't make it. I can't get another bad phone call. I can't get another disappointment as far as my flesh is concerned. How many times have we wanted to quit, but for some reason, Lord, the Holy Spirit whispers your word into us. We all of a sudden hear a scripture, Lord, that encourages us, or we get a phone call, Lord, or we get a card in the mail, or we, we run into somebody that just has an encouraging, encouraging word for us. Lord, I want to thank you for ne never, ever letting go of me. The times I tried to pull away from you, you did not let go of me. And I just pray for each one here this morning. I know each one of us have days that we cannot get out of bed unless you give us the strength to do it. And I'm believing you for strength and strength and strength as you build us up to be um, a person of your character and faith as we walk through this world. Lord, we love you and we love these people. We thank you for answered prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.